Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of The Delicious Legacy. It's the time of the year, isn't it? The weather gets colder, we stay inside for longer, and uh, we perhaps cook a little bit more. There are many festivities and celebrations uh, coming up this uh, autumn and, and winter, and we bake uh, desserts and cookies and more bread as well, and other so many different um, uh, concoctions. and. Um, you know, we piling up the pounds for the long winter ahead. Traditionally, anyway. Uh, let's not forget our winters get a bit more odd <laughs> the, uh, in recent years. But yeah, even um, even I was thinking to do an episode anyway for uh, desserts and so on and traditional traditional cakes and all the differences and similarities across Europe. What's better than the smell of a freshly baked cake just coming out of the oven? The sweet smell of the sugar, of the butter, of the spices, all together, just warming up the house, your soul, and basically, they make you happy. So I'm very happy that today, in our archaeogastronomical adventure, we are joined by Christine from the YouTube channel Bake Across Europe. She will guide us through some of her favorite recipes, some of her favorite desserts and cakes, and um, the different... Um, adventures that she encountered uh, by baking uh, all the weird and wonderful desserts in the many different variations across uh, the continent of Europe. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Christine, welcome to the Delicious Legacy podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's so great to be here. I was really honored that you asked me. Yeah, because um, I've been following you online on YouTube and your channel on YouTube and also on Twitter. And we are friends on Twitter. Yes, I discovered you a few months ago. So I just started listening to your podcast then. And I've learned a lot from you. I really enjoy your episodes. I just finished today listening to your interview with Brigitte Webster. And that was fascinating, learning about Tudor food and her garden and I'm always inspired by people who have an interest and can throw themselves into it. Um, so that that was a really fun one to listen to. She's great, isn't she? Yes. Excellent. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. So I'm, I'm a mom. I have three kids. I've spent a lot of time in Europe over the years and have a lot of 
inspiration from that and some interest in food and baking. Um, I feel a lot of, like a lot of people say this, but I was first inspired by the Great British Baking Show or Bake Off, uh-huh. as you call it in the <laughs> UK. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people say that, so it sounds a little cliche at this point, but um, <laughs> that is really kind of what got me interested in European baking. I loved seeing the different baked goods showcased from all the different European countries, and so many of them I had never heard of before. And I've always loved baking. I even considered going to pastry school after college, but ultimately decided against it because I, I didn't want the bakery or restaurant lifestyle. Mm, but yeah, but I did continue to bake at home and foster the hobby. Um, so I kind of dabbled with starting a blog for a while. That never really amounted to anything. Mm. And then I thought perhaps a YouTube channel would be fun. So I, I uploaded my first video in June of 2019, which was a German seeded rye bread called Corn Brot, and uh, that first video did really well. So that was kind of an encouragement to try again and keep going. I've sporadically added to the channel over the years. Um, I took a lot of breaks. I didn't publish consistently for the first three years just because life took precedence. I had a toddler and a baby when I first started, and then in 2022, I had another baby. So there just wasn't time to be consistent with it. But it's always been a subject and a project close to my heart, along with baking, I've always had like a deep love for Europe. From the time I was 14 up through my early 20s, I'd had many opportunities to travel. Um, My first time was with my French class in high school. Mm -hmm. And then every year after that, I'd had some kind of opportunity to travel. Um, A few of those experiences, um, I was an exchange student with a German family outside the Black Forest. And then um, a campus experience with my university where we stayed in Rome for a semester. And then after college, I was an au pair in Hamburg, Germany for six months. So with all those experiences, I've traveled to most of Western Europe and some of the British Isles. And I've just, I've always, I've just, my first experience traveling just really seeded a love for Europe, experiencing the different customs, the different traditions that I got to experience, especially living with families and going to different festivals It just really stuck with me all those years and really left like sort of an indelible mark on me. I just could never get them out of my head. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you couldn't stop uh, cooking them and baking cakes and breads from (laughs) all uh, these different uh, countries. So different yet having a lot of similarities with each other. Yes, definitely. And just being from the U.S. and we do have our own customs and our own traditions and regional foods, but... Our history, it's just not as long. So naturally, the mm. customs and traditions are a little less complex, a little less deep. So I've mm-hmm. just always been fascinated by the cultures that have those deep-seated traditions that go back hundreds of years. So that's sort of, that's where the inspiration for my channel came from, just combining my interest in baking and my love for Europe and the travels that I've had and just exploring those things uh, through my channel. Yeah, and finding the roots for all these different uh baking goodies. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm no expert by any means. I don't know all the traditions and all the foods, but that's sort of where my channel, what the purpose of my channel is. I'm exploring those things and learning about those things and then sharing them with people. Yeah. Yeah. We don't stop learning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously you have lots of uh, different um, recipes from all over Europe. So from Croatia and uh, from Norway, Sicily, Greece and so on. Tell us a little bit about um, 
how how do you get inspiration to what what do you find inspiration basically and you say oh, okay i'm going to do this now mostly from cookbooks i have a pretty large collection cookbooks from different countries different regions of europe and so i'll i've always had the hobby of sitting down and reading a cookbook rather than reading a novel <laughs> mm-hmm. so i'll i'll just through my reading i will be inspired by something and be like oh that's really interesting i've never heard about that. I'd like to explore that more. And then that's where an inspiration for the different videos comes from. Mm. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about um, the different um, baking goods uh, associated with, uh, with different um, countries and the d- different unique holidays and feast days and all that. Um, what have you discovered over, over the past uh, four years doing, doing all this? Um... Yeah. So I suppose most recently, uh, as of September 29th, it was Michaelmas, which is the feast of St. Michael the Archangel. Um, Mm -hmm. And in British folklore, it's said that on that day that when St. Michael cast Satan out of heaven, that he fell into a bush of brambles. Brambles are like raspberries, blackberries. And because of that, there is an old British folklore superstition to that's the last day that you're allowed to harvest brambles or harvest blackberries Mm. usually. So naturally blackberry desserts are enjoyed on St. Michael's feast day, which used to be October 10th, but is now September 29th. I thought that was interesting. I really, I thought that was an interesting one that I recently learned about. There are some lots of feast days, especially during the Advent season leading up to Christmas that are pretty notable and have a common thread through a lot of European countries, uh, one of them being St. Nicholas Day. Uh, The Feast of St. Nicholas um, is celebrated in a lot of the Germanic countries. Mm. And I I have a video for it, um, Speculas cookies or Speculatius in German. Uh, They're a spiced cookie that are eaten on that day, and they have traditions of making them in these beautiful wooden molds that are made in different shapes, oftentimes in the shape of St. Nicholas or in the Netherlands in the shape of windmills and all sorts of things. And um, you can see these, these wooden molds that have been made for centuries that they would shape the cookies into. Some of them are so big, they're probably like over a foot long. <laughs> <laughs> The ones you can buy from the store today are about, uh, you know, the size of half of your hand. So not that not that big anymore. But (laughs) those are usually given to children on either the eve of St. Nicholas or the day of St. Nicholas on December 6th. Mm. Some other feast days uh, leading up to Christmas would be St. Lucy's Day. And um, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with saffron buns that are eaten in Sweden. Mm. uh, Lusabula. And those are made in... all sorts of different shapes, um, representing different things. I have a cookbook called The Nordic Baking Book uh, by Magnus Nielsen. He's a Swedish Michelin star chef, and he cataloged all the different Nordic countries and their baking traditions. And I learned a lot from the video I made on that one a couple of years ago. Um, There are nine different traditional shapes. Most people are just familiar with that S-shaped looking one. Um, but there are nine right. different traditional shapes for those saffron buns, which I thought was really interesting. And then, of course, Christmas and all the traditional baked goods for Christmas. There's more than I could name for those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Epiphany Tide, which would be from Epiphany, which is uh, 
January 6th, the feast of the three kings going to visit the baby Jesus. Many cultures have king cakes. Even here in the United States, we have king cakes in the South, Mm -hmm. um, brought over from the French, and all different varieties from both the Germanic countries and also France and Spain. Um, And usually those king cakes are eaten and enjoyed during Epiphany Tide, which would be from January 6th up through the day before Ash Wednesday when Lent starts. So I've just learned about all these different kinds of traditions and the foods that are associated with them. And it's interesting to see how they're all very different, but have a similar note that run through a lot of these European countries because of the similar feast days that they were celebrating. Yeah, because they are obviously... uh Referring to a certain saint or the about um, the religious holidays, right. yeah, they all kind of happen at the same time, but yet being different geographical regions and um, they have different ingredients. Like in the past, obviously, people um, they couldn't have the same fresh ingredients from Norway to the south of right. Spain. So yeah, so yeah, you you make do with what you have. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and you see, it's interesting though. There's so many similarities, like leading up to Lent and those like carnival days leading up to it. You have every, so many cultures have pancakes and fried mm. doughs, uh, donuts or fritters um, leading up the week before Lent. And then in that feasting season after Easter begins, then so many cultures have foods rich in dairy and eggs which were both not in season during Lent, as well as foods that they fasted from during Lent. So all the foods differ greatly, but have a a pretty common theme that runs through the different countries. What was something that surprised you? What was like um, something that you thought it was um, unique, different, or you didn't expect? There was something, is there something there that um, you didn't expect from uh, your uh, culinary (laughs) baking (laughs) adventure around you? A recent video back in... The summertime, I made a Sicilian watermelon tart. That was that was a new one for me. I had never cooked with watermelon before, mm. and I was not expecting the flavor. When you cook watermelon, it does not taste like watermelon anymore. It becomes more of like a pumpkin flavor. Mm. So that was a really surprising dessert for me. I'm going to call that one an acquired taste. I can't say that I loved it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Interesting, interesting. Especially yeah, with yeah. that jellied center. It was a odd combination of textures and flavor for me. <laughs> I see. And um, do you find um, the the cakes and the baking um, process um, of this traditional uh, dessert, let's say, do they use a lot of sugar or is it a lot less to what you expected or, from from modern um, desserts? What do you, how do you find the, the, the sugary element of it? I would say it just depends. Mm. I would say it depends on when the recipe was created, how old the recipe is. I do find that there's a common theme in European baking of it being less sweet than American baked goods. So I will Mm -hmm. often make something and my husband will be like, this isn't sweet enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think it's just American preferences that feel that way. (laughs) Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I'd say, yes, generally... I would say European desserts are less sweet, but it also just depends which dessert you're eating. If you're eating a fine layered cake, it's probably got a lot of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the oldest recipe that uh, you think 
you found? Hmm. Well, I haven't, you know, one that I've made or one that I've just discovered? Either. Uh, either, yeah, either. Well, yeah. I mm. recently was looking into um, spit cakes, uh, which are the ones yeah. roasted, made over fire on a turning spit. What? I never had <laughs> you that before. <laughs> Those are the ones made on like a cylinder that you turn constantly as you drip batter over it. And it's, those are pretty ancient. Most European countries mm. have some version of this. Say that researchers have looked into it and think that it may go back to the, to the Greeks, um, the, that they would carry these big cakes on their shoulders that they had roasted over a spit that were like two meters long, and they would bring them to their Dionysian feasts. Right. And, but there are, so I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of, the first time I encountered this was in Germany. They're called a Baumkuchen, which means tree cake. And it has a hole <laughs> in the middle. And when you cut, slice into it, it looks like layers of a tree, like the rings of a tree. And it's right. made by slowly turning a cylinder as you pour batter over it as it bakes. And yeah, <laughs> a lot of countries have these um in France, in the Pyrenees, they have one called, French word's not coming to me, but it's basically what they call it a tree cake as well, but it has spike. It has spikes right. because it looks like a Christmas tree. They they do it faster. They pour the batter over faster than they do in Germany. So because of that, as the batter drips and bakes over the open fire, it creates what looks like tree branches sticking out. Mm. So that's fascinating. It goes all the way even into Eastern Europe and Lithuania has a tree cake and the Czech Republic and Poland and Hungary, they have one. So I think that's probably the oldest dessert I've discovered so far. How interesting. Yeah, I would like to try making it, but I don't know yes, how I would construct yeah. a, a turning <laughs> spit for myself. I might need to uh, breed a turn spit dog. <laughs> 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 yeah. So basically, it was a like you said, a butter, like a sweet, um, sweetened butter that they drip slowly or faster into the. Yes. Yes, like a like a thin yeah, batter and... that you can pour. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, with uh, flour, eggs, sugar. What was the ingredient? Yes, flour, butter? egg, sugar. Um, some countries seem to use sour cream, like in Lithuania. Mm. So it just depends on the country, but usually just what you would create a pancake batter out of, yeah. I see. You had a video about um, the French mm -hmm. Le Montart and <laughs> in which you actually have a question. <laughs> Is it actually French? Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I suppose you're, you're going to have to call it French now because it's, it's very much a part of French culture. But I guess my question in the video was, where did it come from? Um, so... Mm the lemon curd part of it is an English invention. So it's it's funny because a lot of times a culture will make one thing, but then it gets adopted by another culture and it becomes part of their culture and then you don't see it as often in the original place it was made. So yes, you enjoy lemon yeah. curd in England, but not in the form of French lemon tart. <laughs> true, true. And also, yeah, I mean, obviously lemons initially... They were brought to Europe uh, more, more so by the Arabs, right? Um, so they used them a lot in in Sicily when they conquered 
when there was a conquest of Sicily from uh, the Saracens. So yeah, I think um, I think obviously you have all these uh, different elements uh, coming together and uh, creating something uh, new. Right. Always, always uh, a culture will adopt all these different stuff. Right. Yeah, so you must find lemon cakes and lemon desserts in Sicily, which of they have ori- origins uh, from um, the Arabs. And um, yeah, and then yeah, Italy, Southern Italy, and Sicily also they have influences from Spain and f- from France later on. So yeah, everything kind of comes together and they create something new. Right, exactly. <laughs> For our delight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and that's a decadent recipe, that French lemon tart. I think it has a total of 12 eggs and 24 tablespoons of butter. (laughs) And that's just in the filling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, very rich and very decadent, I would say. (laughs) But that's... that's, um more of a recent um, yeah, a recent um, element addition to to the desserts. Usually they were a, a bit more thirsty, a bit more right. uh, of them. You know, they, they used the, the the available resources, right? Mm-hmm. There was um, a little bit of that. What uh, what can we find out? What can we say about uh, about that? Uh, so how did the, how important was the role of um, this scarcity of ingredients sometimes and um, the farming? Or the different farmings that occurred throughout Europe, because obviously most people were peasants. Um, food was difficult to find in many times history. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I've always found this to be a fascinating subject. It's partly why I started a series on my channel called Rye Breads of Europe, um, because mm. rye is a big example of how people have been resourceful with the foods that they could grow in their regions and climates. A lot of people, when they think of European bread, what comes to mind are the French breads made from white wheat flour, like the baguette or the fougasse or pan de campagna. But much of Europe could not grow that type of grain needed for those sorts of breads. In Scandinavia, for example, where it's cold for so much of the year, the grains they could grow were mostly rye and barley, which are very low in gluten. So because of that, they couldn't create the breads that are light and fluffy and rise well. And we often think of flatbreads as something coming from like the Middle East or Mexico, but for much of history, Scandinavia mostly ate flatbreads because of the type of flour that they could cultivate. Mm. And it's really interesting because rye creates breads that can last a long time and wheat didn't grow well there. And so because of that, uh, much of Scandinavia didn't have a culture surrounding the bakery. Um, so without the need for daily loaves of bread and without large populations in rural northern towns and villages... There just wasn't a need for a baker. So they developed a tradition of baking Mm. flatbreads twice a year and then hanging them up on poles to dry and then eating those breads throughout the year. So many of their breads are round with a hole in the center and they're also crispy because the less moisture it has, the longer it lasts. And um, part of the reason they would only bake twice a year was also to conserve the firewood that they would need for heating their homes instead of heating ovens. Um, and then you still see remnants of this tradition, actually. Um, many families still throughout the Scandinavian countries still get together at Christmas time to bake flatbreads as part of their Christmas traditions now. So I, I've always found yes. rye to be a very interesting example of of resourcefulness and creating something 
that became part of the culture and um, created for the specific areas that it was grown in. Mm, mm. And then, uh, I mean, if you want to get deep into the history of rye, you could delve into the times throughout history when rye was infested with something called ergot, which is a fungus. Yeah. And I recently discovered this and I was fascinated by it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's kind of a dark history, but it just shows you what people had to deal with in times of scarcity and famine and infestation of different things in their crops. Ergotism is the name used for describing symptoms that people experience when they eat rye contaminated with ergot. It causes a whole range of things, everything from muscle spasms, hallucinations, inability to speak, mania, as well as another type of uh, ergot poisoning that causes violent burning throughout the body and then leading to gangrene and loss of limbs. Um, Yeah, I know. I, I bring this up not to be gruesome, but rather to highlight, you know, the periods through European history where people had to resort to eating these different things. Um, either through scarcity or from lack of knowledge that it could harm you. There is even an order of monks called the Brotherhood of St. Anthony that was founded in what's now the southeastern part of France in 1095. And they were created specifically for taking care of the victims of ergot poisoning. And so because of that, it became known, ergot poisoning became known as St. Anthony's Fire because of the fire that they would experience, that burning feeling. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad we've eliminated that from our rye crops. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But it's interesting to see this throughout history and learn that there was even an order of monks created to take care of people who dealt with this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'll be back after this short break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You did a, you did a Greek dessert. I did. You? Like a, I made the yeah. uh, spoon sweets out of green walnuts. Mm. That was interesting. I honestly, I came across them in a cookbook and thought, oh, I'm never going to make those. Where am I going to get green walnuts? And then yeah. I went for a walk one day and noticed that my neighbor had a walnut tree. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even know he had the walnut tree because it was growing on the periphery of his property. And I asked if I could harvest them. And he was like, sure, I'm not going to use them. So I thought, well, I'll make green walnut <laughs> spoon sweets. <laughs> and that was interesting. That was a long seven-day process of soaking them and changing the water every day and boiling them many times on the day of. So that was that was a fun experience. Yeah, yeah, very long, long yes. process yeah, to, that, to make That it. could be also and, an uh, example of resourcefulness, taking something inedible and making it edible. <laughs> mm, mm. And, um, yeah, the spoon sweets uh, for the people who haven't encountered them, it's something like a syrupy, sweet dessert that you get um, in Greece. So it could be like, as you said, as you've done there, you've done mm-hmm. the green walnuts. Uh, people, other people do cherries. There can be any any kind of or oranges or any kind of mm-hmm. fruit served in a, in a sweet syrup, in a very, very sweet, um, sugary syrup. And you usually get a little bit, like let's say one walnut or two walnuts, something like that, with your Greek coffee and a glass of water. Uh, as a welcome to the house. And usually older people used to do, grandmothers, our yayas used to do that every time they had a different spoon <laughs> sweet in the so house. So is it not that common so, anymore? Um, I think it comes back, you know, I think it came back in fashion a little bit later, uh, mm-hmm. lately, uh, the, last, the past few years. But I think for many years it was kind of um, what the old yes. people would do really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what my channel's about, rediscovering the old traditions and bringing them back. <laughs> I love that. I love learning about those different traditions. Yeah, and you have so many so many desserts um from um like from places like um more northern Europe like Poland and um Lithuania and um, uh, Wallachia which is modern day what would you say uh, the, is Wallachia. Um, that recipe I just made was from Czech, the Czech Republic. Czech Republic, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a classic uh, French or modern or more modern British cakes and desserts, but all these different go, going back in time and also traveling a bit more into the unknown corners of Europe. Yes, I I really like all of the French desserts and the fine pastries, but I'm mostly interested in finding the unique things that local people make that they've been making for a long time and it's part of their culture. Mm. And do, and you do you try these recipes a few times uh, before you yeah. start um, doing your, your yes, video stuff? Yes, I usually stuff? I usually test them beforehand because 
Anytime I've attempted to not test them and film them, I usually mess up. (laughs) So I've learned, okay, I need to test these recipes before I film them. And I usually change them and make them a little bit different than whatever original recipe Mm. that I've tried just to tweak it to make it a little better. That Swedish strawberry cake that I made in the summertime, I had to test that five times (laughs) because I, Mm. the cake kept falling. So I had to figure out why and I had to rewrite the recipe. And Ah. so, yeah. How interesting. Always trying to make it better so it works for people. I don't want people trying a recipe on my channel and failing for them. Yeah. I mean, the the tech buys, they look very interesting. Uh, Tell us a bit about them if 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 you want. Sure. I'm not sure if you're familiar with kolaches. Uh, that's how you'd say it in English, but they're like little round pastries, usually like a puffy sweet roll with a center in the middle that has like something sweet, mm-hmm. like jam or farmer's cheese or mm. something like that. Um, well, these are a kolak that comes from the southeastern part of the Czech Republic. And instead of being like sweet rolls, they're more like a flat pie. They look like a pizza. That's what Mm. I first thought they were when I saw them. And they're actually a protected food by the the EU and the Czech government. They're called Velashki Fragal. And you can only call them that that if they're made in that region of the country with specific ingredients. So I'm always intrigued by foods like that. Mm. (laughs) So you make a sweet yeasted dough, you roll it out into a round circle like a pizza, and then you spread it with various toppings and Traditional toppings include poppy seed filling um, or a sweet farmer's cheese filling. And I also made traditional filling called povidla, which is a plum product where you take plums and you stew them down into a really thick paste. It has no sugar or anything added to it. It's just plum. And then you spread that on top. And I also did the same thing with pear. You can do the same thing with pears. And so those were four traditional flavors that I made for the channel. And they were good. I enjoyed them. Mm. Any um, plans to visit any any Greek recipes, any other Greek recipes? Yes. Um, I, I don't have any on. Actually, no, I do. I was planning a Greek Christmas cookie. Uh-huh. Uh, Mela Macarona. Have yeah. you had it? Mela yeah, is Macarona. It good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh- <laughs> I've actually never had it, but I was intrigued when I saw the recipe. So I'm going to be um, trying that soon. Yeah, I do it every Christmas. So every, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So and it's good. It's traditional then. <laughs> it's traditional. It's good, and it's basically a recipe that um, once you make it, you make loads of them. So you have to make like 60, 70 pieces or something like that. You know, okay. with, with a, uh, they're small, of course, but um, yeah, they're very mori. So yeah, you have one. Ah, great! I'll have another one. Then um, you know, every day. Uh, so, Every yeah. day you have a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely make make um, the amount that you see in the recipe. It will, it will tell you also, it will be like for 60, 70, 80 pieces, whatever. Don't, sure. Don't have it. <laughs> don't, don't make it. I think, yeah. Okay, I will, I'll make the full recipe. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody will enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other Greek recipes I should include in the channel that are not Christmas recipes, but something that you love that you think should be highlighted? Ah, interesting. So from my hometown, there's a dessert called Revani, mm-hmm. which is like a sponge cake, a syrup sponge cake made with semolina. Oh, okay. So that's a traditional. That's a traditional one from uh, from my hometown. Okay, I'll have to uh, look that one up. Yeah, that sounds good. I like. Uh, I love all the syrup sweets from the yeah. 
Balkan countries. I think that's uh, and then Galactoburico, which is another another one, which I'll have to send you a link or how to pronounce or how to find it. Okay. But yeah, yes, Galactoburico. Send me it's, recipes, it's like, please. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a pie, but made with a sweet uh, custardy type of. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, so from cream or something. Oh, that sounds that's good. A, yeah, so that's a, another very nice one. Okay, very I'll have indulgent. to add those to my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think I think a lot of the Greek ones they have influence from obviously from the Ottoman Empire because so many years was part of the Ottoman Empire, and also they go even further to the Byzantine times, and they, they do have a lot of Arab and Middle Eastern influences and similarities to desserts from 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 that region, really. I don't think um, there are many that you can call uniquely Greek. I think mm. the influences are drawn from all these different places and sim- they have similarities. I mean, so. this is the problem, though, with a lot of baked goods. I, I've, I'm i not a stranger to the comments on my channel that say, no, that's not this. It comes from here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's right. like, well, I, I don't know that we can really know the true origin of any of these things. <laughs> They're mm. all influenced yeah. by something. Exactly. Yeah, we're we're all influencing each other uh, a little bit, and people, yeah, people move all the time. People go to different places, and there was different empires and bigger entities. So yeah, right. There was always cross pollination of cultures and um, and ingredients traveling from place A to go to place B. Right. Um, and also, I think like uh, what other desserts? I mean, I, I think I saw recently. Um, you know the islands. You know, you remember Mamma Mia, mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. So that was um, filmed in a Greek island called Skopelos. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe it was Skopelos. So they have a dessert made from plums, I believe. Oh. So like a, a unique variety of, from the island, and it's um, I think they dry it, uh, so they, they take the stone out and they dry it slowly, uh, and it becomes more intense and. Uh, sweeter so like a prune in a sense mm-hmm. um and then they make a, a spoon dessert with this oh okay and uh, yeah the, the the taste is really unique on that, on that one i have to find i have yes, to find please send that to that me day. i want to i want to look into that and i'll definitely definitely send it to you uh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. what's uh what's the future for uh baking across europe um i, su- I suppose my ultimate goal would be i would love to publish a cookbook I have a few ideas for cookbooks I would love to write. I'd love to make a cookbook cataloging the regional breads of Germany and the regional breads of Switzerland. Um, I'm sure there are books like that in German, but nothing that I've found yeah. in the English-speaking world. Mm. Um, I'd also love to write a cookbook on European Christmas traditions, just because there's nothing quite like Christmas in Europe. I had the opportunity. <laughs> there really isn't. I had the opportunity to be in Germany for um, for Christmas one year, and Christmas in the U.S. is just a letdown after that. <laughs> really? Yes, just, just with the Christmas markets everywhere and all the foods and the traditions that go with Christmas time and Advent. I I've always loved that, so it, it would be lovely to write a book on that sort of thing. Mm. If I'm really dreaming big, I'd love to actually film cooking shows in people's <laughs> homes throughout Europe, but we'll see about that one. <laughs> I would love Excellent. to have people show me how to make their traditional foods. And yeah, yeah. But I don't know. That's quite the dream. So we'll see if that one actually happens. <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Basically, yeah. Where, where about are you from? Where am I from? In, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm originally from California, but I currently live in New England in Massachusetts. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I live near Cape uh, Cod. Yeah. So you, what, what kind of traditions baking? Well, I mean, influences, I would say. What are the influences? Are they mainly British, English? Uh, yeah, it's um, mostly, mostly English traditions. Mm. If you're going to go into like really traditional uh, New England food, then it would be like baked beans and brown bread, which is steamed like an <laughs> English pudding with molasses. Um, right. But in my region, there's, I mean... Unrelated to baking, in my region, there's a lot of um, a lot of fish because uh, I live near the ocean. Mm. So a lot of fish. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of fish in the cuisine here. So we have a local clam called cohogs. I don't know if you've ever if you know mm. what a cohog is, but they're like a really big yeah. hand, a very big clam, like the size of your hand, yeah. and we eat them stuffed, uh, like with a stuffing. Yeah. Ah, what is in the stuffing? Um, so also where I live, we have a really big Portuguese community and influence. So yeah. because of that, um, a lot of foods have Portuguese foods in them. So the local clams are stuffed with dried breadcrumbs and chorice, which is a Portuguese uh, sausage. Mm-hmm. So it's really good. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and, Sounds good. <laughs> but baked goods wise, there's a lot of Portuguese bakeries around here. So I get the chance to eat things like Portuguese sweetbread and pasta de nada and all those sorts of things. <laughs> you still have a little yes. bit of Europe here. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your time. Thank you for having me. This was and, fun. Um, thanks for the discussion because it's, um, it's very interesting to see what people discover in their own culinary adventures through mm-hmm. time and space, of course. It's an adventure, basically. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and it's good to, to meet other people in similar wavelengths that they're interested in, um, not in the food per se, but also, you know, the, the stories behind their, the dishes, right? Right, it definitely. That's, that's what I'm most interested in. Obviously, mm. the food is fun to eat and cook, but I think what's really drawn me into getting more into baking and food is mostly the culture that comes from it and the stories that come from it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've really had a lot of fun talking to you. And um, let's um, let's be in touch and looking forward to more recipes on your channel. And tell <laughs> us again, it's it's called Baking... Bake Across... Yes, Bake Across Europe. Great. And you also have an Instagram? I have an Instagram, a Facebook, and a Twitter. I'm not super... Um, engaged over on Instagram, but I do post on Facebook and Twitter every day. Little <laughs> blurbs about different European baked goods. <laughs> yeah, and uh, things that you discover. And, yeah. Um, fantastic. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was a Delicious Legacy podcast. Remember, you can get the podcasts ad-free and early if you subscribe on my Patreon page. On top, you get uh, a fantastic collection of um, exclusive posts, exclusive episodes, plus uh, recipes and other musics by me. Thank you and see you again next week for another archaeogastronomical adventure.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 